crypto is already sort of like an established concept. When uh, Nasdaq grows, Bitcoin grows. Yes, we are growing uh, the pie. Yeah, uh, we are not. We are not like. Yeah. Dividing it in a different way. Stuff like Bitcoin is beautiful when it's not regulated. So you are a crypto anarchist. And, and here crypt is cool. Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on the future of humanity and trends of development in our society. Today, here with me is Alex McAgon, founder and CEO of Hardcore Labs a crypto investment fund. Alex has vast experience in management consulting. He has worked for Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey and Company, and now he's in crypto like many of us, <laughs> which is uh, an interesting topic that we will discuss. We will discuss the future of Web3, uh, arguments for and against it, uh, and many other topics. Hi, Alex. Hey, man. First of all, I think the question that is bothering many of my audience is uh, what's coming next for Web3 and crypto? Is it uh, the end of uh, the good times for the sector or are you optimistic? Are you bullish on crypto and Web3? What's your take? It's a good question. Thank you. And uh, in general, I think um, I'm bullish. However, you know, as you know, as, as usual, when you're bullish, it doesn't mean that you know next month it will be um, everything will be good. So it's um, in general, I think you know trends are very promising, uh, but uh, yeah, there are a lot of like uh, crypto is still why you know like why crypto is already sort of like an established concept. I think industry is still developing and those you know like there are a lot of unanswered questions which you know like when they get uh, answered there is usually you know something uh you know either it it's usually perceived right like you know either very positive or very negative uh, news and sentiment. Hence, you know, with all this uh, different, you know, like regulation news, for example, in states where, you know, like SEC starts some discussion and Bitcoin plummets and, uh, you know, all crypto plummets with Bitcoin or, you know, or it grows, it doesn't matter, but it's still very, very volatile because I think because people still have not fundamentally answered this question, like, is it here for real? Mm -hmm. Or will it go? And hence, you know, there is a lot of doubt in people. And um, that's why it's very, very uh, volatile and, you know, prone to uh, huge, you know, like huge either, you know, gains or losses. Uh, and in, even the correlation with NASDAQ shows that uh, many people still perceive this as, you know, like one of the, you know, tech industries so a part of the tech industry. Because when, uh, you know, this correlation, I think recently was broken a little bit, so, sort of, but still before that, it was like very, very correlated. Uh, when NASDAQ grows, Bitcoin grows. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. And vice versa. Yes, yes. And also there is, you know, an interesting, uh, there was an interesting, you know, like interesting uh, thing in crypto, um, like inside crypto, because once some positive news are released, for example, for Ethereum, other layer, not, not just Ethereum tends to grow, other layer ones also can grow, which, you know, like if you think about it, it's quite strange uh, because in modern world, you know, in, in, in traditional businesses, if something very good happens for, say, Tesla, obviously it means that it's not very good for Ford, for example, mm -hmm. yeah, or General Motors. But, uh, and why? Maybe because, you know, like maybe because people think of this sector, which is in this case, in the case of this example, is automotive. People think in terms of specific companies. And when they think crypto, 
they assume this proof of concept stage. So mm-hmm. when something good happens for Ethereum, this sort of like proves some concept that this can work. And those, you know, other layer ones grow as well, which uh, which would not be the case in established industry because there is not so much proof of concept in, you know, in established industries. Like it can be, you know, in very specific applications like uh, electrom- electromotive stuff and, uh, you know, and some new type of batteries, but it's still quite different for, for this industry. And that's one of the reasons that I like uh, crypto and Web3, because uh, there is no such fierce competition as in more traditional industries. People respect uh, and like each other often when they work for competing projects, because when one of them grows, it uh, boosts crypto adoption and more people come to to to, to competitors as, as well. Yeah, it's very cool because um, still, you know, it's it, it, it still people perceive it. It's 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 you know we are growing uh, the pie. Yeah, we are not we are not like yeah. dividing it in a different way. And this, you know, like uh, usually people tend to be very very friendly because they understand that the, again most of the potential ahead is not about you know me taking extra two percent market share from you. Like in telecom or banking, it's about growing the pie. What would you say about the future size of this pie? So currently, crypto is around like a trillion, I think, dollar yeah, valuation. Some, some more or less. So I think it's very hard to answer this question in, in, you know, in precise number, because the way I would think about it and the way I would answer this question is I would probably, you know, like rather than, you know, mentioning, you know, stating some uh, random number, like, 10 trillion or, you know, like 1 billion or something. Uh, I think it's more important to understand which factors drive this number. Like what, what needs to happen for it to be 10 trillion or what can drive it to, you know, 1 billion or 1 million yeah, or to zero. And in this sense, you know, crypto is almost becoming a little bit, I would say, political to me. Just because it's, you know, like with all the trends of deglobalization and different countries, you know, sort of like stopping being friends with each, with each other and uh, trying to, you know, compete with each other and trying to build, you know, competitive, you know, business or country economic models. With all the stuff happening, I think developing crypto and supporting the development of crypto as a government or buying it is almost becoming a political question. Even, you know, I think, you know, in many countries, people who are like pro-crypto or against crypto, they are also sort of like divided by political parties and their views, which is, you know, very strange because if you have certain stance on, I don't know, human rights or whichever, you know, any other, you know, any other question which parties usually argue with each other with, yeah, it kind of should not influence your stance on crypto, but but now it does. So it's becoming almost like political thing. And uh, in, in this sense, I'm very bullish for crypto because I think crypto has uh, some very interesting use cases. However, I can, I also, you know, understand that if, you know, a certain number of governments uh, combine their effort and try to, you know, ban it or like quasi ban where you don't, you know, ban it, but you regulate it the way it, uh, it's non- non-existent, then it can go to zero. Otherwise, I think uh, it's here to stay. In some use cases, it's here to stay. And was the like maximum threshold it could reach the market valuation? Yeah, it's very hard to forecast. Uh, I mean, like technically, you can say is it you know is the way you can approach this question that you can take the size of you know global like well not economy but maybe you know like payment uh, cases other um, industries and uh, add some you know arbitrary number like for example Bitcoin will take I don't know 
20% of store of wealth and, uh, you know, some other crypto will take, you know, 20% of payment market and so on and so forth. I don't know. Maybe someone can do this exercise for me. I, I was never interested in, you know, like sort of like getting to this some number uh, specific. I think, again, I think understanding, you know, understanding trends and understanding factors which lead either to growth or, uh, you know, to the opposite process is, uh, is more important than um, doing some, you know, some prediction, uh, specific prediction. Especially, in, again, especially in industries where, you know, the more, uh, uh, you know, Gary Gensler comes and says something and Bitcoin goes down like 20% or goes up 20%. It's very hard to predict specific numbers. Do you believe that uh, governments should regulate crypto more? Because obviously it has its, uh, regulation has its downsides. Uh, and uh, if it's uh, too strenuous, it can lead to Bitcoin plummeting and other crypto currencies losing their value. But on the other hand, there are many cases of projects that scam their users. Uh, and uh, some of these issues could be resolved by introducing some regulation as to financial transparency, etc., etc. something that already has existed in the in more traditional uh, industries for quite a long time. I'm more prone to having less regulations and more regulation just because we already have a, you know, a lot of different things in our life which are very much regulated mm-hmm. regulated too much i should say and those you know having this original you know g crypt idea that you know having something that's not touched by government or by people in power is kind of cool i think stuff like bitcoin is beautiful when it's not regulated i think stuff like DeFi, it might even benefit from some regulation The problem is it's very hard to do disregulation. And it's also, if you're a government, you know, it's sometimes very hard to stop once you start regulating something because you want, <laughs> you usually try to, because, you know, the way I think about it is when you're a government, what's your, you know, what's your KPI? Uh, why are you regulating something? And here, you know, even if you're a good government, your KPI would probably be, Uh, so the, what, because the, then once you understand what you optimize for, you can understand what is, you can answer the question. What well-being the, of your people. Ideally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so ideally it's well-being of your people. But then, you know, you also ask yourself a question like well-being of which categories of people exactly. Because again, um, it's, it can be, you know, you can answer to this question very differently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in democracy, it's usually, you know, well-being of most people. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, will be in most people because you want to w- win next election and you will win if, you know, most people are happy with you because one, you know, one vote equals one, one person equals one vote. So in, in, in this sense, sense, you probably know, like, um, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not sure that this system of incentivization will lead you to proper regulation. Uh, I think in most cases you will tend to be overregulated rather than underregulated. So you are a crypto anarchist. In some sense, yes. In some sense, yes. Again, just because, you know, it's much, it's very tempting for a government to uh, overregulate something just to be a little bit on the safer side. Mm-hmm. Is Dubai a good example? By the way, I know that your fund is uh, 
uh, based in Dubai or one of its headquarters yeah. is there. Yeah. So uh, is it a good example? I've heard that they have quite progressive laws on Web3. They have progressive, but they also change uh, quite rapidly. Because, for example, this year they, they ent- uh, there was um, some new regulations which did not exist before. I think uh, Dubai is a decent example, but I also think they're trying it out and trying to understand uh, because, you know, as most of the countries in, you, you know, if you look on, uh, you know, world map and you, you know, in, for each country, you know, for each sizable country, you map some type of regulation where it's, you know, banning crypto, you know, allowing everything. It's very hard to give, you know, these polar extremes. In most cases, it's like um, something in between, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, again, uh, the beneficial, you know, the best regulation is always something in most cases it's something in between. But in this case, I think it's something in between, not because they figure it out, but because they are not sure. Because they are thinking, well, maybe it should be this way, or maybe it should be that way. But uh, and you know, when you, for example, if you take US, for example, which is probably you know still the most important uh, from the most important country to look at from this perspective, because many countries follow like what US does. When you listen to this, you know, different Congress hearings and when you watch what questions people are asking and what answers they get, uh, you pretty much you understand that they they don't know much about this. You know, this, there was a famous, which is, you know, a different example, but there was a famous uh, audition uh, or hearing uh, for Mark Zuckerberg, which, you know, which many people, uh, you know, laughed at because there was you know, so many uh, stupid questions, yeah. Yeah, which, which shows that people who are trying to regulate and trying to ask Mark some questions, they don't even understand how internet works. So yeah. they, they're very, Boomers. Yeah, yeah, they're very obsolete in their understanding, and um, which is a bad thing. Uh, I'm, 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 which is a bad thing. And same as crypto, because I mean, crypto, uh, let's be honest, you know, for average uh, person, crypto is even harder to understand than internet. Of no, course. Not because it's, you know, more complex or something, you know, also, um, you know probably it is, but uh, but because you use it less and it's less with us. Yeah, It's not like for 20, for, for 30 years, it's maybe for like five years of widespread adoption. Uh, you can, you know, if you can call it widespread. So, yeah, uh, and and hence, you know, hence, I think, you know, most of the countries are trying to find this, you know, the, the, the support of regulation, but still, I don't think, you know, they, they figured it out. Uh, let's fantasize a little bit. I know that you are uh, a man of uh, uh, economics, finance, mostly. You like uh, many use cases of crypto that enable uh, cross-border transactions, maximizing uh, profits, uh, uh, using arbitrage in uh, different scenarios etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, since you are you are also a crypto bro you uh, <laughs> and the crypto anarchist as we learned uh, you probably uh, also have something to say about uh, some uh, more futuristic use cases of crypto such as Vitalik Buterin's concept of soul bound tokens maybe are you optimistic about uh, such uh, types, uh, such scenarios where crypto and Web3 in general can be used? Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to not believe to uh, like 
like almost anything that Vitalik says. Like uh, I've yet to find some stupid uh, article which Vitalik wrote. <laughs> so he has a proven track record of you know imagining things into reality. Like he writes some article and someone builds a business around it. So uh, I believe in uh, I mean the concept of self-bound tokens, uh, and it's it's not something you know it's not something that will change the world forever. It's just one of the you know one one of, maybe one of the hundred concepts which he uh, has. It's a nice concept. Um, in general, no, when answering questions which uh, uh, crypto use cases I believe in or which crypto use cases I don't believe in, uh, in uh, you know, I think we have to, before answering this question, we, we have to understand like what crypto does best and what it doesn't, uh, you know, and what it does not very, not, okay. not, not in a very good way. Because the original idea of, for crypto was building, you know, these decentralized uh, systems, mm-hmm. which have uh, something that's called Byzantine fault tolerance, or, you know, basically it, 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 it's something that works without centralized authority in a proper way. Let's put it simple. And um, building something that works without a decentralized authority uh, is nice in cases when it's good for you and beneficial for you to not trust some single centralized authority. Yeah? And, those, and, and trusting centralized authorities is a fine thing. Yeah? Sometimes it's very good. Uh, when it's good? It's good when uh, you have an industry or you know, a sector of economics, for example, uh, call it whatever, yeah, where it's easy to enter this market. Because in this case, if there is a centralized authority, which behaves uh, in a way that you don't like. It's very easy for someone to enter this market and uh, build another centralized authority, be business, for example. Uh, yeah, for example, if you trust Amazon, you t- until Amazon is good, you trust Amazon. When, you know, when Amazon starts to scam people, someone builds another e-commerce, yeah, which does not scam people and people go from Amazon to this e-commerce because barriers... I mean, don't take me wrong. I mean, there were a lot of barriers in building your own Amazon, especially when Amazon is uh, still you know, still existent, in existence. But uh, it's possible, right? It's possible to be a competitor for Amazon. Now, it's very hard to be a competitor for government. Yeah? And this, most of the cases where crypto was really, really cool is uh, use cases which are somewhat uh, connected to something that government does. In, you know, in original cases, printing money. Because if I don't like monetary policy of my central bank, I, I, I cannot go and uh, found my own central bank, which will operate in the same country. I cannot do an alternative dollar, alternative, you know, in any other country. See? And I mean, I can buy currencies of other countries, but if, uh, what if I don't want to hold currencies of other countries? So it's, and, and here crypt is cool, just because you, build a system which you don't need to trust and it works um, it's cool so originally no that's why i mostly believe in cases where you know um where but 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 all this also comes at the cost because uh, obviously building a decentralized system which does something is much more complex um, and it will be more expensive than building a centralized system with, which does exa- exactly the same thing. Yeah? So it comes at a, at a cost. And essentially, if you use a decentralized system, you pay more uh, just because it's harder for it to operate in, in most cases. So this comes at a cost. And, and those, I don't believe in many you know, crypto use cases which are connected to something that can be easily done without crypto just by you know doing stuff in a centralized way. Because again, uh, 
uh, I don't want to solve a problem with, um, uh, I mean, trusting an authority is not very much, it's not a huge problem when, you know, anyone can become this authority. So when there are all, when there are multiple authorities, it's fine. Maybe you trust Amazon and I mm-hmm. trust eBay. It's fine. Well, the problem I have with, um, uh, people who look at crypto mostly from the financial standpoint is that, uh, that's not completely in line, in my opinion, with the, uh, original idea behind it to uh, oppose centralized systems to be independent from uh, uh, banks and banking system to be uh, not cont- to not be controlled by any government and uh, any authority uh, doesn't matter if you trust it or not it can change the policy may change and it's it's a good thing to be independent to be uh, on your own, uh, self-sufficient, all this burner, burning man type (laughs) ideology that I adhere to as well. Um, And mostly nowadays, crypto is talked about in the context of uh, it being a convenient means of uh, payment or convenient means of crowdfunding, crowd investing, making money, but not in uh, the crypto is not uh, uh, mostly talked about in terms of uh, it changing the world for a better place politically. Do you often think about this? Well, yes, no, I think, you know, I partially agree and partially disagree. Although, you know, I, 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 I definitely like the whole, you know, the whole concept, the way you look at it. I think most of the cases, uh, which, uh, you know, which are popular with crypto now, such as, you know, payments and stuff like this, um, are very cool, uh, exactly, you know, exactly because they, uh, what they help you with is, uh, you become, you know, sort of like, you don't need to trust banks. You can just hold currency in your wallet. And uh, it's cool that this wallet can be digital because you can also hold cash, uh, but cash is not very convenient. In this sense, you know, crypto is more like cash than uh, yeah. um, electronic, you know, electronic currency. But um, anyway, um, I think all these cases are quite cool because they actually achieve this, you know, original, um, original crypto goal of being independent of some centralized authorities, which you cannot avoid in, uh, you know, your usual life. In this sense. There is probably a not financial use case, which I believe in, which is something that uh, WorldCoin tries to achieve, which is a pr- proof of personhood. I don't know, you know, whether WorldCoin will be successful with this project. Uh, so I don't have anything, you know, very positive or very negative to say about WorldCoin as a project. But I really believe that this problem is uh, a very interesting one mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, if I go back and do a step back, essentially what they're trying to do is again, and this is idea of, uh, you know, I, thought, I don't know if Vitalik is someone who invented it, uh, probably not in this case, but uh, I think first I read it on Vitalik's blog. And this idea is basically uh, of this problem is very interesting one. Like, how do we prove that someone on the network is uh, a real human? And how you identify this real human with a single idea, idea, because, uh, normally, obviously in internet, this was not, which, which is the case in real life. Yeah. You can identify me by how I look and my you know, government uh, issued ID and so on and so forth. But it's not the case in the internet where on the same, you know, forum, I can have 10 different accounts. Yeah. yeah? And uh, again, you can try to identify me with my IP, but, uh, you know, I can easily change it. So, or use VPN. So. Uh, and it's a very interesting problem to tackle because once you solve it, 
it's also becoming very interesting. You know, you can build other use cases based on this. You can build universal income systems based on this where you, because now you cannot do it because uh, if you distribute, you know, if you want uh, to just to do a universal income uh, uh, experiment, then uh, it's very hard to really, you know, uh, and you want to do it online. Yeah? yeah, it's very hard to do because anyone can, you know, register 1000 Ethereum wallets and get, you know, 1000 X of what they were supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so here it solves this problem completely. And it's very interesting. It also solves other problems because, for example, um, also the reason for uh, the reason why proof of work was uh, invented originally, mm-hmm. and it wasn't uh, invented originally not for Bitcoin, but there is also a story where proof of work used uh, as an anti-spam mechanism, mm-hmm. uh, because um, uh, the logic was very simple. Uh, when spam uh, became a problem, um, and I mean email obviously, and when spam became a problem, and but the anti-spam filters was not were not that good or maybe non-existent there was this idea that if you make uh, sending email cost something um, it might solve the problem of spam but if you make it cost some money yeah it's becoming sort of like clumsy because even if it's a small amount of money like one cent first of all like i don't want to pay when i send the email yeah, even one cent it's kind of you know this stupid thing that you like it's not uh, free mm-hmm. but also um you have to have some payment system for me to pay you this one cent so i have to tell you my credit card for you to charge me which is again a little bit clumsy so the logic was well let's do the following let's make when you send email let's make your computer solve some mathematical task and if you're sending one email, it's fine. It will solve it. If you're sending 10 emails, it's also fine. It will solve it. But if you're sending 100,000 emails, uh, it, it, it won't solve it. Yeah? And you won't be able to send so many emails from different... Uh, um, uh, even you know, even if you register many emails, yeah, many email accounts, you still won't be because you still have mm-hmm. this limited power, limited processing power, uh, which... Uh, and this idea immigrated to Bitcoin. And the idea was, well, let's have this uh, limited uh, limitation of processing power um, for people to submit blocks, yeah. Because uh, you, in this way, you will not be able to spam the system with um, blocks that are not not correct, yeah. which is a cooler concept. Yeah. So, uh, and with uh, going back to what we were discussing with this system of proof of personhood, yeah, you can even build a system where it's not proof of work or proof of stake, but it's sort of like proof of being a real person. So that, you know, one person can submit only one block uh, per day, for example. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it solves the problem. And then if you submit a bad block or you're trying to, you know, fraud the system in some way, then you, for example, you can get banned from the system. And it's becoming, you know, a very cool network concept. So uh, there are some very interesting use cases which are not, you know, purely financial, which I believe to uh, believe in. But, yeah. If we if we continue uh, thinking about the future in uh, more broad terms and strokes, uh, what do you think awaits us uh, in terms of uh, are we going to live in some uh, society that closer to a utopian or dystopian one? Are you optimistic about the future, about what lies next for humanity? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm definitely optimistic just because, you know, it's hard to be pessimistic on what awaits you. If, uh, you know, if, if you, if you do, you, you, in general, you risk to, uh, I think you risk to, uh, not have a very good, uh, life. Yeah. Just because you will be boring too much. But, uh, you know, it, I think average human and, uh, I definitely think of myself as an average human is very bad at predicting future just because if you look at, um, uh, history predictions, the very usual human predicts history, uh, predicts future is, um, you take two points in history and you extrapolate them. So, uh, you, for example, someone in 19, you know, 1950s will say that, uh, there was once there was a car which, you know, like, which was driving 10 miles per hour. And now they are driving like 100 miles per hour. So next, next, you know, next 50 years, we will drive, I don't know, 200 miles per hour. But we will still something. be unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, but we'll be a little bit happier, you know, when you're driving this car. But, but in, in general, we try to extrapolate where what comes really is uh, it's almost like, you know, this black swan event of which, you know, and I seem to have wrote a book, but uh, something disrupts it completely. And, uh, and it disrupts in a way that any extrapolation made before it's, it does not make any sense. Like, I don't know, uh, for example, uh, yeah, computer, yeah. Before, you know, computer arrived, it was very, very hard for average person to imagine something like this. You have some, uh, you have some attempts, you know, sci-fi. If you look at sci-fi, there are some concepts which are very similar, but still, um, the way they imagined it is far less, I think, ambitious, um, uh, compared mm -hmm. to how it really works now. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, there is a different trend. The more you live, uh, the first everything happens just because there are more people and trends are global. Yeah. So previously there were like 5 billion people doing something. Now it's like 8 billion people doing something. Then there'll be, you know, 10 billion people doing something. And then someday it will be 20 billion people also doing and something. And also AIs. And also, something. and also AIs, which will be most likely it will be exponential. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and this, uh, you know, you can very easily come to this uh, concept of, you know, technological singularity, which you're probably familiar with is, is basically, and, 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 and in some sense, you know, it's almost feels like very, very close to it just because there is a block, which I really like called uh, white, but why? Yeah. And you, yeah, you know, and uh, the guy had, um, Tim Urban, yeah, the guy had, uh, um, an article about AI and, um, what really shocked me and it was back then, like maybe, I don't know, six years ago when AI was not that popular, yeah. what really shocked me is the way he thought it about it, which again became very logical now, but then it was not that obvious is that most people, when they think of AI, yeah, they think of, they're not very afraid of AI just because it's three years ago, it was, uh, equivalent to a brain of, I don't know, mosquito. And then, you know, now it's equivalent to a brain of, I don't know, a, a rat, something, a mouse. And then probably, you know, in 100 years, it will be equivalent to a brain of, or a, I don't know, a bear or a cat or whatever, or a dolphin, yeah? But obviously, it's not the case. It works, yeah? Once it's, you know, and then he has this uh, metaphor of... Uh, you standing on a train platform and train approaching you. And when you look at train, train is far away, far away, far away, far away. Uh, and then, you know, like just one, one second and this high speed train, they, uh, it, it goes, you know, through the station and goes, goes somewhere very far. And, and, and this is how he imagined the revolution of AI. There will be some moment where this train, like yesterday, it was more stupid than a single human. 
and tomorrow uh, tomorrow it's more uh, you know it's uh, it's better than uh, you know all humans combined yeah. and i think this is probably what will happen and in the sense you know it's partially happening now and i also as many people you know some people probably uh, become to feel the way i become uh, the way I- i'm feeling right now is when i look to new ways how it's working yeah um and i told i think you know i mean I all these layers on chat gpt uh, auto gpt thing and stuff like this the way i feel is it's very hard for me to understand what do i have to do now what will be in demand in five years yeah because almost anything which i can imagine which i can do this thing you know it's almost doing it better right now it's probably not yeah because again 10 years ago yeah when i was a not a kid but you know uh, when I'm, college student yeah college student i was thinking like well what should i do maybe i should uh, maybe i should try myself as a writer and i wrote something yeah maybe i should try myself as a musician and i play some music and now all the things becoming generated uh, and generative writing and then you know now you have generative writing which is all, all uh, very good yeah um well, some people will argue that it's not good, but uh, yeah, but it's I mean, quite good. At least. It's quite good, yeah. and uh, every, good enough for many. Yeah, cases. I mean, it's quite good, and it's every day it's becoming better and better. Yeah. And people who tell that it's shit, well, it's maybe they think it's shit today, but in one year they won't think so. And then you have generative uh, speech, yeah, and then you have generative video, uh, and then you'll probably have some sort of generative uh, computer games, and then you know this will converge into some generated experience, yeah, like uh, AI is uh, you have. I don't know. We are sad, and yeah, it's uh, uh, you know you you want to live really f- live some experience of you know being uh, as someone in some setting. Can you just set the, who you are in which setting? Can uh, yeah. what type of game you want to play, or even even you know what type of life you want to live in this VR? Uh, it happens and it generates for you you know a custom experience. And uh, in this sense, um, it's a little bit frightening to be honest. Yeah. Um, I was creepy. Uh, yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy. I played, you know, I played Magic the Gathering with AI, with ChatGPT. Ah, yeah. interesting. And yeah, it was it was a very interesting because um, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos on people playing chess with ChatGPT. Yeah, and ChatGPT played decent chess, not as you know, not not Alpha Go. I crashed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not you know, it's, I, cr- I crashed it's, it. It's not not Alpha Go by any means, but it played decent chess. But I was not surprised by its ability to play chess. Why? Because chess uh, is a game, you know, albeit it's very complex. It has, uh, first of all, it has uh, very easy notation. Like you can code the chess uh, game in, you know, in maybe, you know, few, yeah, in binary code. Yeah, in binary code. And then chess is also a game which has a very good database of recorded games. So it's very easy for ChatGPT to have some part of recorded games in its memory. Mm-hmm. And then when I play, you know, I also, when I play with ChatGPT, I also use very standard opening. So chances are he already, or it, you know, it already has all, you know, like a million similar games to what mm-hmm. I'm trying to play. And it will probably crush me unless, you know, it will uh, collapse in because they... Uh, because it makes illegal moves at some yeah, point. Yeah, stuff like this. But when I played Magic the Gathering, now it was creepier. Yeah? Why? Because Magic is a game which um, has a very, very high variation because you can have different decks with cards which you play. It's also a game which has much less recorded games and most of them are in video form, like two, two players playing each other. Yeah? It's very hard to synthesize because people not only have different deco- decks of cards, but they also have different opening hands. So each game you play 
it's somewhat different from the game you played before. Mm -hmm. The whole game relies not just on your ability to um, memorize some openings, but on your ability to conceptualize and understand um, um, sort of the way it works, but you won't be able to memorize because you won't get the same hand of cards twice yet alone with against the same opponent yeah so each game is completely different so for you to play it uh you have to play some games understand basic rules and it also has very complex rules uh so uh, you know rules of chess is where you know it's, it can be written on one piece of paper yeah. rules of magic the gathering is uh i think 400 something pages wow. so it's there are a lot of rules just because there are a lot of cards uh -huh. and a lot of ways for them to interact uh -huh. so when i played with chat gpt i was really surprised because was just you know it, it was able to memorize what's happening on the board it was able to memorize which ha which cards he has in you know his imaginative hand it was able to make some very interesting plays and then two things you know one in in, 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 in two things that really shocked me i asked it whether you know i'm winning or losing and it replied correctly, which is also a very hard uh, thing because as in chess, for you to understand if you are winning or lose, you have to have understanding. You have to have a very good understanding of uh, a game. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and 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 well, maybe if you chess advantage is uh, plus eight or something, even a newbie can understand that why it is winning. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then if it's plus zero point three, yeah, mm -hmm. you need to be like Marcus Carlson to understand that yeah. it's plus zero point three and not you know minus zero point one. So it's it's kind of hard. Yeah. So it, it replied correctly about the state of the game, which was very surprising. To me. But then also I made uh, a move where I played the card, which is not usually played in uh, a, a deck which I previously you know, announced uh, mm. GPT I was playing with. And it said like, well, why are you playing this card? It seems weird. People who play this type of deck, they mm -hmm. don't usually play this card. There must be some deck building error, which is, was very almost this awareness moment, which was creepy. Also very intriguing, but creepy. Who <laughs> won? Um, we didn't play the whole game. It was more like an experiment of because uh, I mean, obviously, when you when you play, you can uh, you imagine the game. So you can imagine you can you, you know you imagine the card you draw. <laughs> so it's not cards. It's ah, not random cards. I, I so you it. can imagine you drew you know the best card and the opponent drew the worst card. So you you easily win. It's a great experiment. I really like it. Yeah. Well, I, I I should think about more creative ways to test the abilities of ChatGPT. I really like communicating with it. Um, thank you for your insights. I'd like to ask our subscribers to write down in in the comments what they have used uh, uh, neural networks for some creative use cases or maybe not so creative but uh, still useful ones because we are all learning. I'm all, I'm constantly learning, and I don't know. Uh, how to adapt to this new reality either nobody does i think we should we should all be open-minded and yeah and await uh, the best and the worst yep. <laughs> at the same time this has been greg Mastrider's podcast alex mcagon thank you alex thank you man see you guys